am your host, Jay Poole, and this is Pot Stirrer Podcast. Welcome to Pot Stirrer Podcast, where politics, religion, and history collide, and it's not always polite. Today, we have a very special guest. Allison K. Garcia is a licensed professional counselor and prolific Christian novelist. She is the author of the Buscando Home series and Vivir El Dream, as well as a number of short stories, and has been a valued contributor to several anthologies. Allison has been on Pot Stirrer Podcast previously, and I've always enjoyed our conversations. I'm sure listeners have as well. Allison is returning today to share with us about the third and final installment of the Buscando Home series, Finding Paz. Welcome back, Allison. Thanks for having me, Jay. I'm really excited to be here. As I mentioned, Finding Paz, Finding Peace, is the final installment of the Buscando Home series. The earlier books being Finding Amor, meaning Finding Love, and Finding Seguridad, or Finding Safety. Did you already know how you wanted to end the series when you first started it, or did that come along at another point in the process? Mm, good question. So I, when I originally wrote Finding Amor as a standalone book, it ended really differently, and I had kind of a literally like almost come to Jesus moment where I felt really not good about how I ended that book. When I wrote it in 2014, the original first draft had her staying with Carlos and it was a whole thing. And I was like, that never quite felt settled about it. So I set it to the side for several years. And then when I brought it back, I kind of like, I was encouraged by my former editor to, to like pray about it, which I did. And then I got this idea of how to make it into a series. So originally when I wrote like Finding Amor, I had no idea about the ending and I'm a, I'm a pantser, i.e. I write by the seat of my pants. So I usually, I usually know how it's going to end. Now for this book, Finding Poss, I knew sort of how I wanted it to end as I was writing it, but it evolved over time. And at one point, at one point I was sitting in a coffee shop. And I had like a very grinchy moment where I was like, <laughs> and I think I giggled evilly in the coffee shop, probably freaking out the people behind me. And I was like, Allison's had a, an awful thought, a delightful, awful thought. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I know how it's going to end. It's going to be horrible. <laughs> Not for everybody. But like, yeah, so I was just like, yeah, it was, it evolved as I go. I was like, well, how can I make this awful, but not like over the top? but also make it about peace because that's kind of, you know, what it is. And, and I and I went back and forth a lot about it because there's a lot of things that are kind of loose ends that, that are happening in Finding Seguridad, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, it, yeah, it's like a big deal. There's a lot of different things happening. And so I was like, how am I going to tie all these things up? I don't want to be cliche. And also I want it to be, like, authentic. But And, and so I, I went back and forth a lot. That, that makes sense. That's the thing. Like when you're creating something, a lot of times, like there's things that come up in the moment and it's like, like, how do I want to tell the story? Where are we going with this? What direction are we going in? There's things I'm discussing and it's like, well, how do I tie this up? And, you know, especially as you're ending this, right. it's like, there are those 
questions and things that, you know, it kind of comes to you at the moment sometimes. And, you know, that's kind of how writing goes a lot of times. Yeah. And also, like, as I was writing Finding Pac, I had already thought about doing a spinoff novel with two of the characters and making it into, like, a queer Christian fiction thing. So, like, whenever those characters were having a scene together in Finding Pac, I like just I only wanted to write their scenes <laughs> and I was like I want to start the love story now but I can't like I need to finish I need to finish what I started with this because they're not the main people and yeah. then I gotta move into the main thing for the next book um yeah. but I really enjoy writing some of those scenes it's hard to get all of the pieces together sometimes with books okay okay so in terms of finding pass mm-hmm. without getting into spoilers too much Tell us a little bit about our main characters and where they are at this point in the story going into Finding Pass. Mm-hmm. For those who have read the other two books, Finding Amor and Finding Seguridad, just to chunk the story, it's about a family from El Salvador who has come kind of piecemeal to the U.S. First the grandmother came, then the mom came, and now the son came, um, and they're all kind of trying to come back together. The grandma's named Sandra, the mom is Ana, and the boy is Emmanuel. Right, and then there's friends are Lauren and Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's happening in the second book, at the end of the second book, is that they find that the, the great grandmother of Emmanuel, uh, Mamita, has just passed away, and Anna realizes that she thinks she might be pregnant. So that's kind of how the book ends, and she has left this not good situation with her boyfriend, her ex boyfriend now, of an abusive situation with Carlos. Um, and so she has left that, but he's been like, kind of, I think in, in book two, he's kind of chasing after them a little bit and like, you know, gets arrested and it's a whole thing. And so they think he's safely in jail, mm-hmm, but he's not. So, um, so we know like as the readers that like Carlos is, is not in jail and then she's pregnant and then the grandmother just died. So that's kind of how book two ends. So book three picks up there where also they're they're also trapped together in a snowstorm. So there's been a blizzard and then Lauren's friend Emma ends up showing up as well because she's dropping off a Christmas present and then she's they're all trapped there for like five days in the middle of this blizzard. And so that's the first time really they're all under the same roof together. Um, the grandmother and the mother and the son. And so they're starting to learn about each other more. And they're like, Anna's always been kind of distant from her mom because she left her and never came back for her. But Emmanuel and Sandra get along great. And Anna like really struggles to see like, who is this person now? There's a lot of feelings she has. Like that's not the mom I knew. And I think that's a thing that happens a lot in families where like, you know, the grandkid, (laughs) you're like, wait a second. Like, I didn't get to do that when I was, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> like on a bigger level, like, you know, she didn't get that love because Sandra didn't, wasn't in a good space for that. You know, she had PTSD then she got into drugs and stuff and just was, had a really rough go of it for a long time. And so, um, this book, I'm excited. Like Sandra has her own point of view. So it's like four point of views. So it's like Anna, Sandra, Emmanuel and Carlos. So you see what's happening with Carlos, where he's made some really not great choices and is suffering the consequences of those. And also kind of Emmanuel is dealing with some 
kind of big questions for a little guy, you know, eight year old. He's like, if, if, you know, he just has learned about God and he's thinking like, why do some people have to struggle and some people don't, you know, why, why, like, what is faith almost like, what, what does it mean? The different things, you know, things that like really hard questions for eight year olds to deal with. But Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, like, and, and so he's dealing with some of that stuff and Sandra's trying to get in with the family, you know, um, she's been slowly like, they're like, Manuel's been re- reeling her in, um, little by little with his, just his little cuteness. So yeah, I think it, it, it kind of starts out like that and there's a lot going on. And Lauren yeah. and Peter are having their own journey of like, figuring out like, they've just kind of come to like, the fact that like, learning about white privilege, systemic racism, and, um, and that's a whole thing that Lauren's been kind of on a journey about as well becoming more kind of progressive in her understanding of the world. Mm-hmm. That's the thing like, I noticed a lot, a lot there going on. And I think to your point about Sandra and um, Anna and Emmanuel and just like, just kind of the whole thing of like the family dynamic. And I think particularly when it comes to Sandra and Anna, it's like, okay, you might have a certain relationship with their parents when you're younger and then when you're an adult, you realize like, okay, well, there's things that maybe they may have been dealing with when they were raising you or like, you kind of look at them as adults, mm-hmm. you know, and that's something I know that at least I can relate to on some level. I mean, obviously I haven't dealt with the issues that they dealt with that led them to that point. Mm-hmm. But I think that a lot of people can relate to the idea of going from your parents being how they are like when you're being raised or like when you're a kid and whatever that dynamic might be and you know if it might be you know a little bit more difficult and then but then as an adult maybe like not necessarily excusing things or whatever but just coming to a better understanding of them as as an adult and be able to look back differently yeah because i think like we all start out thinking that our parents are kind of perfect, even if what they're doing is not perfect until we know better. So people that are in abusive situations, I think a lot of times they feel really bad, but they don't know that that's not what's normal, which is what I've learned from like doing a lot of counseling with people. Um, And I think once you realize that what you're in is not the norm and that, you know, you have this, then, then it's like, these people are, are not, these are flawed humans. And then there's the teenage stage where everything's a flaw, probably, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> even, in, right? even in families that are not, like, there's not, like, domestic violence or different situations. But, you know, there's a, that point for many years where you think they don't know anything. And then there's the growing up stage where you realize they were just humans, just like you are. And also, like, doesn't, like you said, doesn't excuse everything because sometimes people are, pretty you know can be pretty horrible and sometimes you can see like okay i see how that happened i don't like that that happened but i see what their life led to how they went that way it's like a better understanding like a more round understanding Mm -hmm. yeah definitely definitely this kind of ties into another question i have so there are a lot of important themes that really stuck out to me in finding paths and it seems at least at least in my head, these themes have a commonality. So the themes that in my mind stuck out to me included grief, unresolved trauma, regret, bitterness, and anger. 
And so these are emotions and issues that are unfortunately a part of life, but unless they're properly addressed, these can keep us away from, from gaining a sense of peace. You were writing the story and these themes were included. Was this intentional? And what inspired you to highlight these issues? I would say there was probably some intentionality and some non-intentionality just because I'm a pantser. (laughs) (laughs) So I would say like, I knew kind of going into the story that Mamita would be passing away at some point just because she was very old. And when she left, when Ramanua left, she pretty much said, this will probably be the last time we'll see each other. And that felt accurate. I mean, she not had an easy life herself. I don't know really how old she would probably be, only like 65 or something, <laughs> considering the ages of the other characters. But um, but that's a lot in the, considering she went through a whole civil war and, <laughs> and all the things. Yeah. So, um, and we don't even know her whole story. You know, there's another thing that could be a cool story. But um, she... So I knew that, and and I knew that that would be a very complicated grief, especially for Sandra, because she left. She hadn't seen Mamita, uh, her mother, um, since she left El Salvador in, like, I want to say, like, the 90s. And so it was, like, you, you hear in the, in the, in the next book, um, she talks about kind of the fact that, you know, the book that I'm editing right now, she does get into that a little bit because she's in that book. Okay. And so she talks about that some, but it's complicated. And then for Anna, she hasn't seen her for a lot of years. For both Anna and Emmanuel, that was their mom pretty much. You know, that was how they were raised. They were raised by Mamita. They were, that's, that's the only mother they knew. Um, and so all three of them had the same mother. My favorite part of the whole book, I think, one of my favorite parts of the book is where they, so Lauren and Emma are chatting in the pantry and they step out and they see Anna, Emmanuel, and Sandra all at the counter or something mm-hmm. and they're making tortillas and they look at them and they're all making tortillas the exact same way. And they stop and like Emma goes, whoa. And they look at each other and they realize that that Mamita was the one that taught them to make like tortillas. Like all of them, like the same mom, you know? Yeah. And so they had the same exact person, like, teaching them these things, but, like, 20 years in between, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's, like, a beautiful thing, like, that she has this thread that's, like, woven out through everything, like, and, and her love, I think, is what made them be able to get back together to find this piece. And I think that's part of the grieving process is they realize she's not gone, like, she's in them. Mm. And, uh, Gosh, I guess I really like that part. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like, you know, and I think that um, grief is part of life. Um, I did a really awesome grief training that I went to that was beautiful. It was actually, it was super specific. It was love and grief in the BIPOC community during COVID. Um, mm. And it was also just so powerful for like each person there. I think we just took and And one of the things they said is, you can't have anything without also having grief because the grief because in everything in life there is also loss. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things like as we're going about the world, there's grief and you're gonna feel it even when you don't want to sometimes. It's gonna hit you like a wave in the ocean, it'll take you like a riptide. We talked about it in that way. And also also we still have to live. We're still living. Yeah. Um. And, and so it's figuring out 
how do you find peace when your whole world is chaos, you know? And I think that that's a question a lot of us have been asking for the last two years, at least, um, oh, yeah. if not for our whole lives. You know, how, how do you find peace in the midst of chaos? And I think that it, things don't have to be peaceful for us to be able to find peace within things that are going on in life. Because life doesn't stop. It just keeps going. True. That's so true. That's something that I can definitely resonate with. Yeah, one of the reasons why I tend to be interested in things like genealogy is because I like the idea of kind of learning about those past threads. Mm -hmm. I've lost a lot of people in my life. And, you know, that's sort of been a constant throughout my life. And doing some of those kinds of activities, being a Black American, I can, only, I can generally only go back so far, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of ancestry. But it, what is really cool that you can do is sort of go out instead of upwards, going out like kind of almost like laterally. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, I'm learning more about relatives and stuff and just the things that connect us together. And even those that are living, but you just didn't know certain stories about them or right. people that you, you have known that maybe have passed on in more recent years, you learn more about them. There's those connections that tie you to them. And then in a way they're not like, even though they may be gone, they're not gone. Yeah. Exactly. You, you know, and, yeah, and that means a lot. It does mean a lot. Yeah. I think like one of the things I, I did um, with my grandmother, like she was like a really cool lady. Really. I think I feel like I get my strong, like, like for the strong women in the family. Like when I think about her, I think the Buxton side of my family. And one of the things that I did was she loved genealogy stuff too. And so she had gone back and looked at stuff and also she was a great storyteller. So for a project for psychology, I was doing genealogy stuff. And then I did another project. And then just for fun, we ended up just like recording um, like cassette tapes of her just telling stories of the family, like hours and hours of them that I have like, and now she's passed for, I think, 10 years. But I have these cassette tapes, like full of family stories that she told just things that I think, like, you know, would have gotten lost with her. Um, and it's just, it, it's really cool to, to be able to talk to people and hear these stories. Um, cause so long, so easily they get lost. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I hear you. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I think going back to finding past, you know, in the midst of like grief and difficult situations and things, it's like, it's really need to be able to find those connections, find, find those ways to connect and, you still miss those people that are important to you. Mm -hmm. It's cool that you highlight the scene with the tortillas because it's sort of like, okay, in that seemingly small way, it shows that, okay, there is that connection. Mm -hmm. And for them who, I mean, for Sandra that left in the nine, she left when, when Anna was a baby, was like a toddler. And then Anna left when, when Manuel was a baby. Like they really haven't spent a lot of like time together. So that's like really like the only time they're all there together. And yet they have a commonality. They have this mamita, like was one of that, that was one of their threads that ties them together. And as they get to know each other, like they're, 
learning that they, you know, there's going to be things they have in common, things they don't, but they are tied together more than they thought. And I think, you know, the, the buscando home, which means looking for home, um, you know, they are slowly finding home together again as a family. Okay. That's such an awesome thing. So besides that, is there anything else that you feel like readers can take away from Finding Paths, as well as the in- entire Biscondo Home series as a whole? I mean, I feel like always when I books, I have kind of a couple goals in mind. I want to either open somebody's eyes to situations that are happening, and I want people to feel seen, to see themselves in the book. So I always ask people to try to read with like an open heart and open mind to try to put yourself in the shoes of the characters in the book and see commonalities within your own life. And yeah, and just kind of with the overarching goal to be more loving to yourself and to others. It's just just my general vibe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that's that's definitely an important lesson to take from it. I'm enjoying your novels a great deal because they illustrate perspectives that as someone who lives in the Midwest, you know, living in Cincinnati, I don't always have exposure to. For you, as a white novelist who has incorporated perspectives from actual Latino people and has created a fictional account that feels real, you've been sort of a bridge builder. But in the very beginning of Finding Paths, you make a statement, and this is what it says, quote, I wanted to let you all know that after this book, I will be stepping away from writing Latino Christian fiction and will head down the road of writing queer Christian fiction, end quote. So I'm going to ask a little bit about that, and I want to talk about both parts of the statement as well Mm -hmm. as just the whole statement. So for the first part, you elaborated saying, quote, as a white person who is merely Latina at heart, I have slowly realized that this is time for me to leave the storytelling to those who have lived experiences in that realm, end quote. So when I read this, it kind of actually reminded me of a previous conversation that we had. (laughs) 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 And... I think it might have been when we were talking about finding a more. And I asked this question. I remember asking a question that related to avoiding issues of appropriation mm-hmm. and being able to capture perspectives, being a Caucasian author writing about Latin American experiences. So that was back in about 2018. Mm-hmm. But then you've had the shift since then. And so my question is, what led to your shift in perspective and decision to, as you say, lead the storytelling to those who have had those lived experiences? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that you were like, hey, you answered this differently before, because that's cool. Because like, I I think I've there's a lot of growth I've had in the last three four years. I think for me, like, partially like right now because I left my former marriage and I'm not in that church community, I feel a little bit more disconnected from the Latinx community than I used to. And while I still feel like a lot of that is my heart, I I don't think I have my finger on the pulse like I used to is one thing. Also, just 
I think that, you know, I, I'm very good at reading people and understanding people. And, and at the same time, there's one thing about reading and understanding and one the different thing about being, I think, in a way that I can never quite understand. And while I'm going to have, like, I mean, the main, one of the main characters of my next book is Latina, but I, it's, cause I'm, I mean, just because that's the character <laughs> that mm-hmm. I want yeah. in the book. I don't see it exactly as like Latino Christian fiction, um, because it isn't as entrenched in the Latinx culture as much as some of my other books. And so while there's going to be lots of Latino flair, um, mixed in with the queer flair and all these other things, I think it's not as entrenched in it as the other stuff, just because I do feel like there are things that I just maybe can't get from not being um, raised by Latinx people, but like not being Latinx myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I just want to step aside for like own voices. And, and I feel also just called to really called to write queer Christian fiction. Like as a queer Christian myself, I'm feeling a very much a scarcity of resources in that region. And I, just feel like that's where God, God's calling me to write. Um, and, you know, when you get, you know, just kind of part of the thing with, I guess it works with my pantser kind of mentality as I just go with the flow. And that's where, like, the flow, which I see as God, is taking me. And really hard writing Finding Paths sometimes because I just wanted to go with the flow and start that story already. But I couldn't because I was like, no, not the time yet got to finish this book and then I write the whole book and that, the other one, leave yep. it, Allison, leave it, leave it. <laughs> so <laughs> I needed to close that chapter properly before I opened the next one fully. I get it. Like, at least in terms of you're working on something, you've been working on something, you need to like kind of wrap it up. But then it's like, you're looking further ahead to where the flow is taking you, where you feel mm-hmm. like, okay, th- you, you feel led to go, you know? I feel so drawn to it. Re- yeah. It was very hard to finish it. Um, I don't like editing anyway, so I'm just going to preface it with that. Like right now I'm editing, yeah. and I'm editing my <laughs> queer Christian fiction. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get this. It's going to be done. I'm going to publish this in 2021. And I was like, no, nope, ain't happening. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, good try, good college try. But like, you know, like uh, I, I really tried, um, but I really don't like editing. It's not that bad once I do it. Yeah. <laughs> in my head, it's really bad. Um, Gosh, yeah possible ADHD <laughs> there um, but like so I have but I feel I felt really called to do that like when I was editing I was like oh, this isn't my heart anymore this is you know I want to start this new story and but then when I was editing I was like you know what this is my you know I'm not gonna get choked up over nothing like this is like these are people I didn't want to stop the story you know yeah because these are these people are in my head and my heart now it's like part of my these are like my people that I've created. They're like part of my family or something. Yeah. It's so, like you get attached to the, to, to yeah. this world and like these people that you've created and they feel real. Yeah. I can so, see them in my head, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, exciting on a side note. I don't know if you know about this, but like speaking of seeing things outside of your head, did I, did you see some of my like Instagram posts that Hollywood producers trying to, Wants to make Viviera dream into a, a, like a on the screen. I did not see that. Like, that's a thing. That's a legit oh, wow. thing that's happening right now. 
Oh, wow. Have, That's I have awesome. a shopping agreement and it's a whole thing that oh, they have a year to shop it around and like it, it's awesome. And anyway, it's crazy. I don't know how that's my life, but it's a thing. That, <laughs> I don't know that that is amazing. I'm really excited because this guy's really cool. So yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely amazing. That's it's that's really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So before we kind of get into the second part of, of your statement, are there any specific Latina or Latino authors that you might recommend to listeners? Yeah, I really like. I like Reina Grande. I like her book. I'm also like a little bit old school. Well, there's a, oh, I'm just going to like look at my thing I have here. I want to read like Felix Ever After. I don't think that's a thing. Everyone, oh, there's so many books. Solito, Solita was a good one. I like, but I like Reina Grande. I, I'm also like, like Sandra Cisneros just like dropped a book, I think. That's the house on Mango Street Lady. Okay. So that's like older. And I would say like, ah, oh, there's Victor somebody. He wrote Macho. Um, which is supposed to be a good book. There's also, I like, I like Esmeralda Santiago. These are some older authors, though. Like, the one that wrote, like, Water for Chocolate. That's a really good book. That's old, though. But, like, I like the classics. And then (laughs) Isabel Allende dropped another book recently. And I was like, what? And she has, like, a, like, a whole YouTube channel thing. And she's so cute. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's cool. I have to check that out. I've been really into youtube lately so yeah that that's yeah. i think she's got i've seen her like on facebook live and stuff and she's like definitely you know, like i mean she's older and just but she's like she's a legend so that's pretty awesome um that's, that's cool uh, there's probably like so many people see this is where i'm like would probably do a disservice maybe somebody that's like i'm sure there's like a thousand own voices out there i have like my own friends that i like their stuff i like cynthia marcano that's uh she writes some really good stuff um, okay. but I, I don't know, like a whole lot of names since I haven't been reading too much. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I haven't, I've been watching a lot of Netflix though. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, I, uh, I, I haven't read too many books. I bought a lot of books, but I have not read them. <laughs> yeah. I got a lot of books for Christmas, um, and, and, and I asked for a lot of books, so I got a lot of books for Christmas, but I'm, like, so behind. Yeah, <laughs> I really need to read books. I, I picked up one the other day at Barnes & Noble because I had, like, a gift card, and it's, like, I've, it's called One Last Stop, okay. and I started reading it, and I'm really enjoying it. Cool. Okay. Yeah. For Christmas, I, I got the 1619 Project, oh. and... Yeah. yeah, and you know, I've taken some things f- from like what I've read about it here and there, but mm-hmm. I wanted the whole published thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I have it, and it's huge, and so it's just like, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. I bought yeah, some. Like, I bought a really cool book um, at some bookstore somewhere, and it was all about. And I wish I knew the name because when you started talking about your family and like stretching out, like looking linearly it reminded me of the this book but i can't remember the name of it but it's all about some kind of box that like i think an enslaved woman had that she passed on throughout all the generations of her family and they were able to keep keepsakes in it and it was like it looked the book looked really good and i can't remember the name and i'm sorry 
Um, I can get it for you at the end, but it looks really good, and I want to read it. But also, I'm like, that probably is going to make me cry a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's probably going to be really emotional, but also it looks really interesting and, they, like, just, like, something I'd like to read. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I, I enjoy reading. It's just so, there's just, I have such a long list of mm-hmm. books, and it's just, like, oh, yes. getting through everything. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. and then it's like, you know, you get through one, and it's like, oh, yeah, I've heard about this one. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. <laughs> I have started the book Untamed three separate times. <laughs> and it's so easy to read it. I could finish it in, like, a day if I just, like, sat down and stopped playing Animal Crossing or something. And then, <laughs> but so I just get distracted, and so I'm like, oh, I have to restart this book because I forgot where it stopped. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know how that is. Like, my, mine's, my thing is The Sims. Oh, like, I love this Yeah. So, as for the second part of your initial statement, you elaborate regarding your choice to write queer Christian fiction, mm-hmm. and you say, quote, I'm very excited for this journey as it fits with who I am as a queer Christian, end quote. In our most recent conversation on the podcast, you shared that you're now living in your truth as a lesbian. And I love that you've been able to embrace being both queer and Christian. Unfortunately, so often Christians who are LGBTQ plus are made to feel like they have to choose between yeah. just between living as who they are and their faith. Yeah. So you're shifting from writing fictionalized stories based on the experiences of a community that you have an affinity towards, but you're not a part of mm-hmm. to writing fictionalized stories based on experiences of a community you are a part of. Yeah. As a creative, is there an adjustment that comes with that? There is. I I think my editor noticed it. She was like, these sentences are really long. <laughs> <laughs> part of it is I was just writing from my heart. It was just coming out because part of it is, this is part of my story, you know? And so it was a little bit like stream of consciousness was happening, I think. And it could be really powerful to write some stories and really painful to write some things so yeah it's been interesting for the story that is called the dry depths of my soul which is the spinoff there's two characters one who is is a lesbian and has been out around her community like apart from everybody else for a while but the people in her life now don't actually know that she's gay and then there's another character who is realizing as she's about to turn 40 that she might be gay Mm -hmm. um and so there's like an emerging person and a person that's kind of been hidden a little bit from their family which i think are pretty average tales for people in their 40s you know some people are living out and about but there's a lot that aren't and so i yeah as i'm writing this i'm especially the one that was came out later in life um, and is really like kind of figuring herself out. She's at first like, you know, what I was taught was that originally when I was little was being gay was a sin and that homosexuality is a sin, just like, you know, the Sodom and Gomorrah stuff and a man lies with a man like a woman, et cetera. Um, yeah, all those, all those clobber verses. Yeah. Clobber passages, exactly, which mm-hmm. is literally what I was editing last night talking about clobber passages. You get, a, you get a gold star for knowing club and position. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so she's like realizing like, well, what does this mean for me? Like, does this, and this is kind of like what I went through was like, 
uh, like I wasn't able to look at it. Like and she has a kind of a different story than I do, but like similarly, I know for myself, I was like, what does this mean for me? If this is really who I am, if this is my, like, if I am really gay, does that mean I can't believe what I believed before? Does that mean that I am just going to go to hell? Like, then I don't want to do that. But then what does it mean if I don't do that? Like, and so yeah. it was a, a whole back and forth. And I'm just, I'm really glad to have a really good community base of like other queer Christians. Because also sometimes what happens is people throw out the baby with the bathwater. You, you realize you're gay and you're like, well, I guess I can't be in God's family anymore. And that's it. And they are mad because sometimes people have really crappy experiences and me included. Um, and sometimes mm. people are awful. It's, there's religious trauma all throughout the LGBTQ community. It's a legit thing. And so being able to to not throw out the baby with the bathwater and do deconstruction and reconstruction and work on my faith and understand, like, getting down to the nitty-gritty and understanding what things really mean, realizing that I'm still a child of God, that I'm still loved um, and deserving of love, was really powerful and important to me and that's something that I want to have come across in my books. And I also understand that there's going to be so a lot of people that are angry on both sides. A lot of people on the Christian side are not going to like this stuff. I've already got some of that. And there's going to be a lot of people on the queer side of things that are not happy because they've had a lot of religious trauma and I get that. And not everybody's story is going to be the same. And I understand that, too. And also, I, I want to be able to say, hey, there's a way to do both if you want to do both. Okay. And, and just kind of, like, have nice stories <laughs> and interesting <laughs> stories and be, for people to be seen as like within the community. And I think there are more queer Christian authors, like, emerging. Um, I have a, a great... I was just in, a, in an anthology. Oh, it's called... I think it's Reconstructing Christmas, and it's a holiday anthology. S.J. Blasco is the the author, and they've written a lot of cool books. Um, and I have several other queer Christian friends who have books on the on you know coming out in that realm, and I'm just excited to see this genre slowly kind of popping up. I think it's such a good thing because I'm just thinking of. When I became an evangelical, this was like in let's see, late 90s, early 2000s. So over 20 years ago. <laughs> and this was still back when, I mean, not to say that it's easy for people who are LGBTQ plus now, <laughs> but, but back then, I think it was even more difficult. Oh, yeah. And just thinking about how those kinds of resources and people writing about being both gay and Christian, I don't remember seeing that very often. Mm -hmm. And I remember like in my I didn't own, even know it was a thing until like three years ago. Yeah. Oh, you can be gay and a Christian? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. And, and I knew people that were gay but and spiritual, but not really considered themselves a Christian. Yeah. Like now I remember when I was in college and I worked with a guy who who was gay and I knew he was gay, but I didn't know he was also a Christian. And it was like, when he told me that in my own ignorance, I couldn't really wrap my head around that. Mm -hmm. Like, how could you be yeah. both? Yeah. 
And, you know, over time, as I've grown in terms of my understanding and my acceptance of the LGBTQ plus community and some of the experiences that, that I've had, I'm not part of that community, but there are people that are very close to me that um, have come out mm-hmm. over the past several years. And that's, and that actually was for me a turning point in terms of leaving evangelicalism. I'm still a Christian, but I don't identify with evangelical Christianity. And that tipping point for me was issues of not accepting people who were queer. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've been really fortunate to, to find a church community in my, in my town, um, where it's very, it's completely queer affirming, like very much in a lovely group of people and just where I have just felt completely accepted and loved without any question. And it's just been, really nice it's so for, so refreshing to yeah just land somewhere and then people to just be genuinely happy to see you and not not have to put on filters and it's just super nice yeah yeah i would i would imagine like you know being able to kind of live and grow in in your own truth and being able to mm-hmm. be both and have that affirmed mm-hmm. I, I mean i would imagine that that that's an amazing experience. And unfortunately not everyone has that experience, but hopefully through these writings. And I mean, one of the books that I thought was really helpful to start understanding that, okay, you could be both and Mm -hmm. um, is God and the gay Christian. Yeah. By uh, Matthew Vines. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. I quote it in the book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I leaned upon that one. I did a couple of episodes, like maybe a couple of years ago about, being Christian and affirming. And I like, that was one of the resources that I leaned on heavily. I think it's awesome to then also see this. And this is one of the things that you're a part of at this point that you're getting into is this community of people who are writing novels mm-hmm. about the queer Christian experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that will only help people who are in that position, who they're realizing that, okay, you know what? I might be gay. I might be queer but then at the same time not wanting to walk away from their faith right because you know they hold that in high regard as well finding that okay you don't have to do that Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of healing that can happen there too because i think there's a lot of stuff you know i don't want to get into all this but like that evangelical christianity is getting wrong like so many things right Mm-hmm. And so, like, um, we don't have time for all that. But, like, <laughs> like, I, like, I have, like, episodes, uh, oh, I have, like, oh. episodes and episodes and episodes devoted to that. Like, I was, several. like, refer back to all of Jay's <laughs> former podcast. Yeah, so, like, I think there's so many things that are wrong, uh, uh, we've gotten wrong, and I think as the church, and I, I'm just glad to be trying to put out things to just be more affirming, to be loving in like more authentic ways and to kind of yeah i'm just excited about it i i read a lot of books i read god and the gay christian i read the first one i read was almost like a theology textbook it was called what the bible really says about homosexuality if you want like a theological deep study that's that's the one there's torn is a really good one by justin okay. Lee. untamed by glennon doyle is really awesome just like girl power but also like really interesting book undivided i forgot that the authors for that and then unclobbered by colby martin um, okay. those are all like kind of non-fiction 
Some of them are autobiographical, like Untamed by Glenn Doyle is autobiographical about her and her wife, Abby. They're some really good books if people want to further their understanding about that and kind of understand about the collaborative passages and what the Bible really does say before we went through and misinterpreted many things. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I think that this is awesome that the genre is growing and I think that it you know has such potential to touch a lot of people who, who are hurting and who have had religious spiritual trauma within the church because of how they've been treated because of their um, sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or gender identity. Yeah. Both. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, There's a also, have you seen the Netflix movie Pray Away? I have not. It is a is really good and horrible at the same time. But it was yeah, that one is all about kind of the, the ex gay movement. Okay. Um, where it was like about conversion therapy and how they did all these ex gay camps and it was a whole movement to that you could be healed of your gayness. And it was a documentary, so it was like the real people that were living this whole thing. Wow. Um, and it was, yeah, it's intense and very good. But yeah. um, I guess the gist of it is that everybody thought everybody else was doing it better. You know, and they thought, well, I'm just going to keep pretending I'm getting these feelings, getting rid of, because I know this guy's doing it. But that guy wasn't doing it either. He was just thinking, you were, you know, you were doing it better than he was. And yeah, it, it was really powerful. And to see that it's coming up again, like, and in the trans community too. Like it was really sad to see mm. to see it. there's a surge again, which is very disappointing. Yeah. So, but but interesting. It was very interesting. I think for people that want to understand some of the religious trauma that and why a lot of people have that in the in the LGBTQ community. Yeah. Um. In my city, they've actually banned conversion therapy. Yeah. In our state, they have too. Yeah. Which is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, hopefully that that happens in a more widespread way because it is really damaging to people. I had seen, I before I unfriended people from my former church, I had seen somebody post about how bad it was that conversion therapy was going away. And all these wow. people were talking about how great conversion therapy was. And I was like, hmm, I'm yeah. going to need to friend a lot of people on the Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't you hate that? Like where you're just, you know, you go through Facebook and like there's, those issues and you just like yeah why am i still friends with you i just mm-hmm. can't i mean i guess there's for me there's okay there, there's difference of opinion and then there's I hate not you as a person yeah there's not accepting who someone is as a person mm-hmm. and it's like no yeah you there's know? a difference between if, if the difference of opinion is you think that that person is worth less than you are and that's not a difference of opinion that's a difference of values right yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And so th- there's, to me, there's a big, yeah, there's a big difference there. Whether or not we like, like chocolate or vanilla ice cream is mm-hmm. totally Cleveland Indians, if they're going to have a good year or something, you know, right. You know, you know, yeah. I can still be friends with somebody that enjoys the movie Princess Bride. I can even be in love with them slash my girlfriend loves Princess Bride. And I don't really love Princess Bride, but uh, you know, and that's okay to have different opinions. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that kind of, that's a difference of opinion. John likes metal and I don't. <laughs> yeah. I, I like 80s pop and that's not his thing. You know, yeah. those, those are differences of opinion. We can coexist. That's fine. But it's another thing to basically. Be like racism doesn't exist. Like, um, you know, like, 
of opinion. That yeah. That's straight up ignorance. And yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, racism doesn't exist and it's all in the heads of people of color. Or in the case of, of like sexual orientation or gender identity, it's like, you know, oh, we, we can change them. It's just. I went to a, a school board meeting and there were grown men yelling, God gave men penises and girls vaginas and that's just how it is. Oh my like, gosh, uh, yeah. And then a doctor came up and was like, actually, there's all this intersex stuff. And then he was like, that doctor said something otherwise. And I. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but there's all these. Ha- and they were like, that's, we love Jesus. And that's why trans people shouldn't get bathrooms. Yeah. It's um, just, oh my gosh. It's just, yeah, it, it, it's really so frustrating to see just the ignorance. And I think it's it's not even just, the, it's like the very willful ignorance, no. even when faced with facts and uh-huh. information to the contrary, it's like, well, no, like, I'm just going to still live in this, you know? Yeah. I just, yeah. And, and I can't. Just, yeah. And then they were just being awful. I w- it was really scary. I went, it was like a counter protest. Okay. So I went to this counter protest and they were just, they yelled the national anthem. They, they saluted the flag, the Pledge of Allegiance, mm-hmm. and they yelled it like it was like, this is America. But it was loud and it was, yeah. and they, they called people names and it was a whole thing and it was just very disheartening. Yeah. I think, you know, without going too far into the weeds, I think that a lot of it is that you have a segment of our population that feels threatened by change and by diversity. And, and when I say diversity, I mean racial diversity, ethnic diversity, diversity in terms of sexual orientation and gender identity, how people identify and people being able to affirm who they are. For a segment of the population, they feel threatened by that change. Yeah. They feel well, like they're losing been, grip. Well, they've been told like, hey, these people are trying to take your crumb. And mm-hmm. the people at the top that have the whole pie <laughs> are like, listen up. You see that crumb? Y'all are fighting over that crumb. They're going to take your crumb. Don't pay mm-hmm. attention over to here that we've got this whole pie. But this person's going to take your crumb. So you better fight to the death to keep that crumb and stop looking over here that we've got this whole pie. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Sort of winding down a bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is sort of a broad question. Okay. Um, so you're. You know, as we've talked about earlier, you're ending the Buscando Home series. And with that, you're ending your season of writing Latino Christian fiction. Even though you have mentioned that you're going to have a character that is Latino in your upcoming queer Christian novel. At the same time, this is going to be it for kind of of this focused Latino Christian fiction. Yeah. So you're moving on to a new season of your life where you're writing queer Christian fiction and well, some things are the same, specifically how you're talking about the Christian experience. It's a different type of Christian experience. That's kind of, I guess that's the best way I can put it. Mm-hmm. And for listeners who have listened to all of our conversations on the podcast, it seems to reflect how you've grown as a person. And that's something we've kind of talked about already is how there's been a level of growth. And it's something that, I mean, honestly, I can appreciate it. I love growth seeing things differently learning and growing and all that Mm -hmm. Uh, so just in general how does it feel for you making this kind of transition in your writing career it feels good I feel like it's a natural flow I even feel like as I was editing I have the three books even as I was going through the process 
there is growth in every book. And it leads me to this book that I'm going to next, The Dry Depths of My Soul. I don't think it's going to be a very sharp left turn for most people that have read my books. It's going to feel, have a very similar vibe because it's just the natural flow of who I am and how I've been, what the trajectory, trajectory of like how I've been going. It's still pretty progressive and liberal, which is something that anyone that's read my books would say is kind of tracks with the books that I write as I wrote about undocumented immigrants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's, it's about marginalized groups. It's just a different marginalized group within the Christian community. And it feels good. Sometimes when I look back at some of the ways I've phrased things in my former books, that it feels a little ooky, as my friend would say, because I'm like, oh, I don't quite believe that anymore. Or, oh, I forgot that I used to think that those things. And I think if somebody just read Vivido Dream and then they just read this, it might feel really different. But it might not also. like. Maybe it just seems very different inside me. I think that it'll flow nicely into the new series. And yet I think it will get, I'll get into more of the depth of some of the things. It'll be taking on different topics that haven't been talked about in the other books. And I hopefully that'll be something interesting and refreshing for people to read. Awesome. Listeners, definitely check out Finding Pass. And where would listeners be able to purchase it? on Amazon. So you can get it Kindle or paperback. So if you prefer holding a book in your hands and feeling the nice cream colored paper and the smell and then listening to the pages turn like I do, then, you know, grab yourself a copy of that on Amazon, the paperback. Otherwise, you know, get your little Kindle and just swipe, swipe. All right. Awesome. So finding passes out. And then you said that you're working on an upcoming novel, The Dry Depths of My Soul. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, that is the next one. Um, it is coming out. Also, I've been in two anthologies since I think we've talked, which is the Mar- March for Justice and the Heart of the Season. And so those are, oh, wait, no, three, because Reconstructing Christmas. So I've, I've been doing things <laughs> since okay. we spoke. But, um, but yeah, The Dry Depth of My Soul, I'm going to say, like, look for it maybe in the springtime, because I just know my editing takes a while. But that's my goal. My goal is like a springtime release. We shall see if I shall make it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and um, anything else that is next for you? Do you have any, any other like projects, events, anything mm. that you're excited about? Well, I am intrigued to see if the whole movie thing or the screen debut of Viviera Dream will happen. So, you know, fingers crossed, they'll find some people to finance it. That would be really awesome. <laughs> And yeah, I'm excited about that possibility. And I think that those are the main two projects I have. I have the actually I already wrote the book two of the the new series that I have. So, but that one's like in first draft mode, so it is light. Um, it's All just right. Original NaNoWriMo first draft, rough draft mode. So that one that was that would be the book that comes after Dry Depths of My Soul and. As a true pantser, I don't remember what I called that book. So I cannot <laughs> name that for you. <laughs> okay. Well, so if we did want to keep up with everything that you're doing, like any social media or like yeah. any, yeah, where we can keep up with your projects. I have a Facebook author page. It's Allison K. Garcia author. Same thing for Instagram. I'm also on Twitter, A the Writer. And I have an Amazon author page. 
if you wanted to see the anthologies that I'm in, um, I should be tagged in all of those. And I think I'm Goodreads account too. I think that probably the Amazon author page is probably the most up to date of all my all my works. Okay, cool. And I'll make sure that I link to those in the show notes. Cool. That sounds lovely. All right. Well, as always, it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on Pastor Podcast. Thank you again, Allison, for joining me. Uh, it was really fun. Thank you so much, Jay. Thank you very much for listening to Pastor Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Prime, or on your favorite podcast app. Go to potstirpodcast.com slash download, and you'll see the links. If you subscribe, which is completely free, you'll be able to access new episodes as soon as they're released. If you enjoyed the podcast, please give it five stars and leave a review. And I enjoy tweeting, so follow me on Twitter at PotStirrerCast. I'm Jay Poole. Let's fight for America's future because freedom is not free.